Welcome to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. Today, we welcome Monique Garcia Reiser. Monique has more than a decade of experience in the nonprofit sector, leading teams, operationalizing big ideas, and advocating for policy change in the media and on Capitol Hill. She has served in leadership and executive roles for direct service nonprofits, coalitions, and policy advocacy organizations. Monique was a military spouse for 13 years to a reserve service member. She describes herself as relaunching twice, first after her partner's deployment and second after a major life transition. Her professional experience includes serving as a nonprofit executive director of Urban Alliance's Greater DC Region, which provides workforce readiness, skill development, evidence-based programming, and rigorous work-based learning experiences to nearly 800 youth and young adults in six school districts. She also previously served as executive director of the National Coalition Opportunity Nation, where the team developed and relaunched the Opportunity Index, secured partnerships with a leading consulting firm, social science researchers, and the media to tell the story of opportunity in America. She also previously created and scaled an award-winning career program for military spouses. As one of the first class of Gates Millennium Scholars, she completed a BA from Gonzaga University and an MS from Syracuse University. Monique's most important role is as a mom of three, the eldest who serves as a military officer in the National Guard. Monique, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you so much, Carol. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today. Well, I'm so happy that we have this chance to talk. You have an amazing background, and I think so much uh, for our audience to learn from. So I want to know if you can tell us uh, in more detail about the early part of your career and your time as a military spouse and how it impacted your career path. Sure. So, uh, well, thank you so much for inviting me to tell this story. I feel like my career journey is a little unusual, um, but the more I talk, the more I find maybe it's not so much. And hopefully your listeners will connect with my, what I feel is a non-traditional journey. So my military connection came through at first my now former husband. Um, We were married for 13 years. And during that time in 2005, he was deployed to Iraq. Like many, many families during that time, both in the active duty and reserve components, we know that that we knew that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened, I think, rather as a surprise to me still. Um, we had only actually been out of graduate school, both of us, um, for about two years. We already had two children, uh, two young sons. Um, so we moved to Virginia for his civilian job as an attorney. Our boys were one and six years old, and about three months later, he was gone for a 15-month deployment to Iraq, Mm. and uh, I was on the other side of the country from my family. I was looking for a new opportunity for myself, having, you know, just a couple years out of graduate school, having worked with a company remotely back in the day, which is very normal now. It used to not be so common. Exactly. (laughs) Not then. 
And for that, then it wasn't feasible for me to continue remotely in this new space in Virginia. So I was looking for a new job. I had some great, you know, opportunities and interviews. And then this deployment came up and I just decided that it was really important for me to focus on my young children at the time, you know, kind of being alone and, and as a reserve family member, not being connected to an installation um, Mm. or spread out all over the place. So instead, I threw myself into volunteering like a lot of military spouses do. I became a family readiness group leader for the unit that my then husband was a part of. And I spent the next two years um, supporting our families through, like many, um, a very difficult deployment. My partner at the time actually was injured, injuries he still deals with to this day. We had casualties and... And I was a part of all of that. And it just really kind of changed everything for me. Um, I was early in my career, as I said, anyway, but it just felt like nothing really mattered more than this military community that I was in and what felt like a bubble back in 2005, 2006. It just felt like those were the only people who understood our life. And so I didn't spend a lot of time on the local installation and when he came back, um, I was definitely ready to go back to work uh, after being home with my children for so long. And I found it really difficult to get back into the workforce. When we had moved and before he had prepared to deploy, I was getting interviews. When he came back in 2006 and I you know, took, took some time you know, with our family for him to come home and get adapted, which was a whole other conversation. Um, but I was ready to go back and I just had a really hard time getting mm-hmm. any interviews. I can't be sure why I'm sure it has something to do with kind of people head scratching, like, what is this two year gap? You know, what were you doing? Were you in the military? That was very confusing for people. So I decided, you know, the thing that I love to do right now is to support military families and specifically which comes later in my career, I was really struck by how many in particular women, because so many spouses are women, were doing what I did, like pausing their careers or working less, fewer hours, and then having a hard time getting back into the workforce. Like, forget about if you're an active duty service member, spouse, and you're moving all the time. The reserve spouses, I felt like our experience was more this deployment cycle that was really disruptive. So I, it just really stuck with me that it became like a women's issue for me. And I mm-hmm. totally know that there are many military spouses who are men. But at the time, it was like 90-something percent spouses were women. I thought, wow, how are this, this, how is this group of women creating their own economic security while they're supporting their family and, frankly, the country? It's hard. Um, I just That kind of stuck with me. So... Um, I ended up getting a job at the National Military Family Association, which is an organization that's still around and thriving today, working as a development associate. And I was still really early in my career. My degrees had nothing to do with that, but (laughs) I found an opportunity through networking and something that felt really fulfilling and worked with my lifestyle at the time. So that was sort of my first relaunch experience, getting back into the workforce. Yeah. For, uh, thank you so much. There's so much packed in there. Yes. And I'm sure the military spouses who are in our audience can directly relate to what you're talking about. And those of us who are not part of the military community probably 
cannot directly relate because we haven't had that kind of experience that you've had. Uh, and it, it, the whole, when we think about the whole military community and people thanking the active duty members for their service, it's also thank you to the military spouse community for supporting the families while the active duty members are deployed. Absolutely. I was very humbled by the spouses I met, you know, through this experience and and beyond, you know, I stayed very involved with the military community for several years after that, after getting back into the workforce, because it was what I knew. I felt really passionate about it. And I didn't really have a career plan (laughs) at that point. I just sort of followed my heart in many ways, but the military spouses I have met over the years, you know, that deployment experience was done for us. We did not go through another one. He was injured and and really couldn't deploy again. Mm -hmm. Um, And he actually was quite far into his military career when he deployed. He'd already served for 12 years. He started as enlisted and became an officer. So he was getting closer to a retirement by the time he deployed anyway. But the spouses I, I met through, I mean, to this day, they are we have this kinship and mm-hmm. I admire so much the men and women who have been so adaptable and frankly, I think really set aside their kind of own economic journey, which is no small thing. You know, the reality is today death and divorce are part of life and, and death for certainly or injury. I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen. And as a, as a woman and as I became a single parent, it's so important that you have your own career or passions or just economic income stream. And I, I do think that's just a reality that, you know, many military spouses contend with that mm-hmm. they may not be able to pursue something as rigorously as if they weren't partnered with someone in the service. And that's complicated, but I, I think generally, yeah, we owe, you know, those spouses some appreciation for, the, you know, degree of sacrifice they're making for their family and for their country. Absolutely. And Monique, I want to get into a little bit more detail about how you got that first role. You said it was through networking. Um, We like to get really tactical and really detailed um, on 321 iRelunch and at iRelunch generally. So I'm so curious, what was the chain of events what did you actually say to the people who you met when you were networking? And was there some special conversation that ultimately led to that job opportunity? Did you have to talk to hundreds of people to yield that conversation? Can you give us, yeah. um, like, bring us into the moment? Sure. It was a long time ago. So <laughs> the best you can remember. <laughs> of my mind, but um, the, there was one person who was pretty pivotal for me, actually. And she's actually now running all of military community and family policy for the Biden administration. Wow. Um, Patty Barron. Um, wow. She's been a wonderful friend and mentor to me. And back mm. in the day before she had this incredible role, she ran a support group on Fort Belvoir called Hearts Apart for families of deployed service members. And for the, you know, my former partner's tour was about 15 months, I think. And for the first six months, you know, I was like, I don't need support. I'm not going to go to some like crying spouse club, which is this is my, my idea in my mind. And then I just hit a wall. It was just so hard. I was watching the news every day and there were IEDs going off 
I felt like every day on the news and my partner was in one of those explosions. It was just became so stressful. And as a single parent to two little boys, I just was like, I need to talk to somebody. So I kind of caved and went to this group that I'd heard about and I met Patty and we stayed in touch, you know, through the experience. And when I was, you know, looking for something, I told her like, I want to get back to work. I really need to get away from my children. I love them, but it's been a long 15 months of just with these two wonderful little boys and I want to contribute again. And I think she introduced me to the National Military Family Association because I think she was working there full time and the Hearts Apart group that she was leading was volunteering. So I'm fairly confident she's the one who connected me. And what's great, I think also about military organizations or organizations like yours or others that I've run across who understand the military lifestyle, they're ready and willing to like say, yes, let's hear what you'd like to do and what we have and see if we can employ you here. And it really, I think it really was through Patty that I got the connection and, mm-hmm. and obviously she recommended me um, that I got the job. Um, and I honestly, I, I don't, I think she was the linchpin for me. Um, I also had, she had, nominated i think or someone nominated our family for an award through nmfa so they'd also heard about us as as like a military family um so i'd kind of gotten in the the or their orbit um another thing i did actually was i started writing um, i have a degree in journalism um and i started writing for military spouse magazine freelance um while i was and I can't remember the sequence exactly, forgive me, it was a long time ago. But while I was at NMFA, I was also writing. Um, and that work grew. I ended up writing for other magazines within that publisher's portfolio. So like GI Jobs and Ventrepreneur. And as that grew, I actually ended up transitioning out of NMFA and becoming a freelance writer. But still, it was like connecting to people in the military community and and pursuing opportunities, I was able to craft, you know, a new start for myself. And that was never something I had in mind when I was a graduate student studying like information systems. But I think it just speaks to how one, when you find something that you really care about and you would do it for free as cliche Mm -hmm. as it sounds, that Mm -hmm. can be a really powerful driver. And, you know, when I'm, when I was talking to people in that space about working in the military community, you can feel it that you really care and you're hardworking and smart and you're early in your career and you're ready for an opportunity. Um, So that the passion piece was a big, you know, part of my journey. And then it also helped me refine, you know, I was really early in my career and I was a first generation college student. I didn't really have anybody in my family who had like a post-college journey. So I was already kind of flying blind Mm -hmm. before the military thing sort of came in and became my world for a little while. So, you know, the military community and the work I did there also heavily influenced how I thought about what I was going to do for a career beyond this very niche sort of work. And that comes up later in my, my career journey. Yeah. um, And you were work- so you were working in a development role yes. remotely, and you were also freelance writing. So you had some flexibility uh, in terms well, of your schedule, or not really. So I wasn't working remotely for the development job back then. Um, I went into the office for the de- development role. I think it was about thirty hours a week. It wasn't quite full time, 
And then, yes, I was freelancing on the side. So I was pretty busy still. Got it. Yeah. And then tell us more, because later on, you ended up working at the Military Officers Association of America, developing a special program for military spouses. So can you tell us a little bit on a little bit how that happened? And was that after another career break or was there the other career break later on? Yes. Great question. Um, One of my favorite jobs actually was working at MOA. Um, No. So that was sort of, I took a break. I left NMFA to focus on freelancing. I, my son was in preschool. I wanted him to go to a particular, you know, life was still sort of shaping my work decisions. So I freelanced for several years, actually. I wrote for a kind of a group of military magazines. I found some other clients that I wrote for. And I did that. And it was great. It, you know, was sufficient income. It was my thing. It allowed me to have the flexibility to be, you know, pick up my two two or three-year-old, you know, after preschool. But then I was ready to go back to full, well, to full-time, you know, really starting my career journey um, from a full-time perspective because the kids were in school full-time. And I feel like it's worth saying to, for me, my, my personal life had, I think, an outweighed impact on my education and career decisions because I had my first son when I was in college. So by the time we got out of college, I already had a five-year-old and, and then a one-year-old. And then my, my, my marriage was in a little bit of trouble. Um, and so it was time for me to really develop my own career in a much more serious way. And I applied for this opportunity at the Military Officers Association. They were looking for somebody to succeed their first person who, who had dedicated policy and programmatic work at this, you know, longtime military officer association just for spouses. So I succeeded her. That was Sue Hoppin. Um, and I got that job. I applied because I saw it. It sounded really cool. I think someone sent it to me. But I was thinking, gosh, you know, I'm not an active duty spouse. I don't know a lot of the active duty life. And it, it did feel like my time, you know, with my partner's deployment felt less relevant by then because this was four or five years later. But Patty Barron, again, recommended me for this job. So, you know, I had a champion. Amazing mentor and person. She's amazing. Um, She's been like a second mom slash sister to me. Um, I know I had other recommendations and I had established some, a track record. I had written for folks. I had, you know, worked on a a key program at the, the National Military Family Association. And I got the job. I was really I did not feel like I was the typical candidate. I wasn't the typical, I'm using air quotes, military spouse, but I am so, I loved that job. Um, it was, you know, the second, I was the second person to have this job on for military spouses in, in this, you know, older VSO. And the opportunity was to really form more clearly what this institution would offer to military spouses from spouses who were we called you know currently serving in the thick of two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan we've got much more momentum around how we're serving those who come home injured many many policy issues 
on how we care for returning veterans from employment to injury to health to mental health, et cetera. Um, so there were just so many really important issues to work on. And my sense was military spouses were gaining a much more powerful voice in what happens to that service member's career. That's always been the case, I think, in the military community, but it felt different from what I learned and what I knew, which was we were like, I'm saying we as spouses were like, we are one, you know, supporting a two war efforts. Mm-hmm. The largest we've seen since really World War II. And I mean, my ex-husband's unit, when it deployed, it was their first sort of mass deployment since World War II, I think. Like this was new for people. Anyway, my sense was military spouses were playing a larger role and and talking about the things they wanted to do. You know, it's a a new generation. They're lawyers and doctors and teachers and entrepreneurs and and they want to keep their lives going while they support. So when they were like, Monique, you know, what, how do we, you know, be value, be a value as an organization to military spouses? And I was like, help them find jobs and build careers. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is a that is a gap right now. That's exactly right. And just just for our audience, um, so MOA is Military Officers Association of America. Just so people know the uh, exactly. acronym. Um, and I also want to give a shout out to Sue Hoppin, who yes. has been a guest on this podcast uh, before and uh, went on to uh, be the founder of the National Military Spouse Network. Uh, so hi, Sue. <laughs> Giving her a shout out. Um, so, the groundwork, for sure. Yes. So Monique, um, then you ended up moving into nonprofit work, I'm guessing, sort of away from the mil- military spouse as a, as a theme. Um, and I wanted to know, uh, how did that happen? And how did you figure out that that was going to be the next step in your career? Yes. So I had three amazing years at, at MOA. We, you know, created a, a branded career program that continues to this day. It's become like a marquee part of their spouse outreach. I had an amazing partner on the policy side, Karen Golden, who worked in government relations and pushed all the spouse policies, children work. We were a, we were a team and I loved it. And I, I felt so fulfilled by what we did there. But, you know, my life had changed. I went through a divorce and I really felt the need to rebrand myself as someone who was military spouse and, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you never really lose that title. I feel like after nearly 20 years of being in that space, but it was important to me to explore the other dimensions of my identity and things that I cared about. Um, And so I, you know, started telling folks that I knew that I, you know, was looking for something new and I was ready to, to branch out into other areas of work. And my, uh, somebody I knew, Lynette Fraga, who she was at zero to three, and then she ended up becoming the CEO of Child Care Rare of America. She recruited me. She needed someone to run communications for this very respected child care policy organization. And that might sound very strange to go from military spouses to child care policy, But to me, what I realized is I really was curious about what I said earlier, career development. 
workforce mm-hmm. development. Mm-hmm. It really teaches you how to do this, right. especially if you are, for me, I am a woman of color. I was a first generation college student. I was almost a teen parent. You know, I was only 20. So for me, that was a mystery. And now I am becoming a single parent like my mother was. And I want to make sure my children have everything that they would have had if we'd been married. It was really important to me that I continue to grow my own economic um, security and that I live just as well alone. It it just became just such a part of my belief in myself and what I wanted for my family. And so, but I thought I really think I'm really interested in this idea of work. And so to me, childcare was so essential for especially women to go to work. We know this. We've seen how the pandemic has just destroyed the childcare industry and what that does. And again, you know, for me, it was still kind of around women, but um, that that became a transition for me too and thinking more broadly about work. Um, so Lynette asked me to apply to run their communications team and it was such a huge opportunity for me. I was very clear on things I needed to do that I hadn't done yet. I hadn't directly managed staff yet. I wanted to be a manager. I had a salary goal in mind. I had a title in mind and we were able to negotiate all of that. And so that I think of that kind of as my uh, sort of second relaunch because it was doing something that I hadn't really done before as a professional, mm-hmm. even though I had the educational background and, and, you know, communications and marketing touched the work I did. It wasn't my role. And so I spent about a year there. I did not expect to spend such a short amount of time, but I had another opportunity that came to me much earlier than I had ever expected. It was another mentor who, you know, just stayed in touch with me over the years, um, who actually worked also as a political appointee under the Obama administration, who had uh, an African-American man who'd been a great mentor to me. And he was just, you know, what do you want to do next? What are your long-term career goals? And I was much more clear at that point, you know, something about a life change kind of crystallizes what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I knew ultimately I wanted to run a nonprofit organization. I wanted to be an executive director and I needed to learn how, how that's done. I needed to work with somebody um, and I needed to learn how to raise money. So he said, you know what, we have something coming up at an organization I'm going to, why don't you come be our chief of staff? And it was just too good of an opportunity to turn down the the title, the responsibility of, of staffing to executives, CEO and president. He was the president um, and helping, you know, this social enterprise grow. Mm-hmm. So it was so, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is to tell my friend Lynette that I had been given another opportunity, yeah. um, but I took it. It was the right thing for me at the time, and and that was sort of my launch to my relaunch was taking those steps. Wow. Yeah, it's it's so interesting, and I have to comment on your confidence, the, the way <laughs> you're talking about all of this. Um, I'm wondering if inside you had the confidence that's matching what you're um, projecting right now, or whether this is you years later talking about the past and have you always had that confidence level or did you not? And then how did you develop it? I am smiling as you say these things because absolutely not. I was not (laughs) confident. I was terrified. (laughs) I was very scared. I 
you know, again, I, you know, what I know now, having had a couple of leadership roles and doing other work, I, I understand so much more how the role like your family and like the tacit knowledge plays in, in the decisions you make in life as you're a young adult. And I look back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I did not have any of that. I had some people, but not a ton. And they certainly were my parents. Um, they were very disconnected from my life. And so, no, short answer is no. I did not feel that confident. I was pretty terrified every step of the way. And so this is definitely high hindsight being like, hey, I did that. Nope. I did pretty good. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> I learned a ton and I did good work. And yeah, I think experience builds confidence. You know, some people are born with like a lot of confidence. I mean, I also think like looking back, I had to have some confidence, right? Like I did take the jobs. I did right. do the work. I did do the scary things. Um but no, I wasn't sure of myself. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was learning. And and I guess that was that's the thing I look back on that I was always willing to do. Like I was willing to learn and I was willing mm-hmm. to work hard. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, and I had I had a good education. I was very fortunate. I was a gate scholar that allowed me to pursue a good education. So I had a good education. And then I ended up developing some really good mentors. That made a huge difference. People I could go to and be like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything's happening. So no, each step was really no, what I was absolutely confident in, or I I should say sure about was what I wanted for my life. I knew I wanted to have as many options as I could for myself and my kids. And that was going to come through growing my career, making more money and doing something that wasn't going to just burn me out. You know, I was a single parent for six years and I was trying to be a good parent and do increasingly difficult jobs. And that was hard. Um, in fact, that's the thing I'm probably still not confident. <laughs> like, I hope I did a good job. My boys know that I love them. I work hard for them, but I had to be away and I had to spend time, you know, providing in ways that I might not have otherwise, but it's fine. I'm so happy and feel really blessed for the opportunities I was given. And I feel good about that. Um, so Monique, we're wrapping up right now, but before I ask you the final question that we ask all of our wow. podcast guests, <laughs> I know, um, I wanted to know if you could bring us up to date and, and tell us what you're doing now. Yeah. So I, like I said, I had a couple of I ended up having a couple of executive director roles. I I sort of met my goals around my career aspirations. Um, And now I am working for a social impact firm, a small sort of boutique firm that works with philanthropies and, um, and, and foundations and nonprofits and some state government work on the issues that I care about. Um, I get to primarily work on, issues around economic opportunity, which has ended up being sort of my area of expertise. Um, and so I, I run client projects around economic opportunity. I've only been there about nine months, but it is just an incredibly rewarding place to be to like draw on all the things I've done and work with just incredible staff. It's, it's a wonderful firm. I'm, I'm really loving it right now. I'm, I'm at the point where I get to now share what I've learned and inform, mm. that inform other people who are doing good work and, and this is where I hope to be for a while. 
Wow, it does sound like the perfect match. Uh, <laughs> hearing of your career progression and what you're passionate about, and um, uh, all of that coming together. So, that's I'm so happy for you. That's Thank pretty you. amazing, and and you you you're in a place that is really takes advantage of everything you're interested in, and yes. and and your skill set. And I also just want to comment on. You're saying you're always interested in learning. So that, that's the growth mindset people talk about and approaching the world uh, with curiosity. And, and that could be a strength for uh, relaunchers who are listening to use that uh, fearless learner, um, lifelong learning, a sense of curiosity as a way to drive yourself, even if you're not feeling 100% confident uh, and also hearing from what Monique's saying in terms of how she developed these really important relationships with certain people who had a direct impact on her uh, on her uh, career progression. And before I ask you the last question, I also just want to give a very quick shout out to Karen Golden, who you mentioned earlier. Hi, yes. Karen. She's also been on our podcast before. Amazing. So I wanted to make sure um, we, we gave a shout out to Karen. Um, okay. So Monique, our final question is the one we ask all of our podcast guests, and it is, what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something we've already talked about today? You know, right when you were talking, I thought, gosh, this sounds like it was so easy. <laughs> and I like acknowledging, like, it was hard. Like, I got rejected for a lot of things. You know, I was kind of sharing the cliff's notes of how I went from what to what, but there were a lot of opportunities that I didn't get. And so I guess that's the only thing I would add is, you know, rejection is part of the journey, especially if you're coming back in maybe, or you're making a transition, but like, keep at it. You know, that was mm. the thing I thought of is it was a lot harder than it sounds in a podcast. No, it's great advice. For me, having genuine, strong relationships with other people has been pivotal. The mm -hmm. folks that have, open doors or hired me or recommended me. Like these are people who care about me and that I care about and would do the same for them, including folks like Karen, you know, like I've named a couple of folks who have been really pivotal, but there are others for sure. Mm -hmm. and, and that has been a real asset for me. And I teach a lot of folks that, but I also think, you know, being willing to, at least for me, I had to accept that, my journey was a little non-traditional and being okay with that for the military spouses in your audience, I think, especially, and, and they know this probably better than I do, but, you know, sometimes you have to be creative, but I guess my advice is own your story and, and be proud of it. like lean into it and make it make sense for you. Like you write your narrative. I had to explain how I went from volunteer to military, you know, but I found the through line and it became my story. And so I also think being really intentional about making making your story make sense for you and for other people so they can see who you are, what you've done, and, and then what they can what you can do for them. I feel like I could go on, but those are probably the yeah. two that come to mind. Fantastic <laughs> advice. And especially Monique, what you're talking about at the end in terms of you can control the narrative. This is Absolutely. something that you can control and uh, thinking um, long and hard about what that storyline is and how you want to uh, tell the progression uh, is can be very powerful. Absolutely. So, 
I'm and really I think glad you've you given that. folks the freedom to do that, Carol, in so many ways. You've wow. created the space for people to even talk about coming back into the workforce or even making a career change. I mean, we met many years ago and and I thought that was what was so powerful about what you were doing and how it resonated with really military spouses. Like you've normalized in so many ways that I might jump from a career or take a break, but it, I still am here to like work hard and do great and grow. And I expect to be paid accordingly. You know? <laughs> um, and, and I just have to give you some credit for that. Uh, well, thank you so much for saying that. And it has it has been really wonderful uh, having these periodic connections over the years. So I'm thrilled that we were able to have this conversation as part of a podcast. So Monique, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Carol. Appreciate it. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the CEO and co founder of I Relaunch, and your host. For more information on I Relaunch conferences and events, to sign up for our job board and access our return to work tools and resources, go to irelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Instagram, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.